This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Let's open God's Word this morning to Romans um, chapter 8. If you are new today, we are walking through uh, the book of Romans together. We have come to chapter 8 and verse 18. And so if you will find that in your copy of God's Word. And we are going to look this morning at verses 18 through uh, 25. Romans chapter 8, and let's begin with verse 18. And so find that in your copy of God's Word, and let's stand together as we look at the Word. Paul says, beginning here in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. <clears throat> For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. May God bless his word. You can be seated. Admiral James Stockdale um, was the highest ranking American POW in the Vietnam War. He was held in the notorious Hanoi Hilton uh, POW uh, camp in North Vietnam for eight years, from 1965 to 1973, where he was tortured over 20 times. And in his classic book on leadership, Jim Collins tells Admiral Stockdale's story. And, and Collins talks about that as, as he was reading Admiral Stockdale's autobiography and just reading about the, the bleakness of this man's experience as a POW, that he, he found himself just kind of feeling the, the weight of all of that. And one day he was reading Admiral Stockdale's book and he said, you know, here I am, I'm sitting here on the campus of Stanford University, looking out the window of this beautiful college campus and reading this book. And, and even, even here, I'm feeling the weight of this and, and I know how the story ends. I know that he's released in the end. How in the world did this man make it through? And so he went, he went and interviewed Admiral Stockdale, uh, and he asked him that very question. He said, how did you make it through those eight years, not knowing how the story was going to end? And James Stockdale said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I, I never doubted that as bad as things were, that not only was I going to be free one day, but that my experience as a POW was going to become the defining event of my life. Now, Admiral Stockdale's optimism 
was a very different kind of optimism than the optimism of some of his fellow POWs. Because he said that some of the guys were, they would try to kind of minimize the, what was going on and, and, and they would say things like, we're gonna be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and go. And then they'd say, we, we're gonna be out by Easter. Easter would come and go. We're gonna be out by Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving would come and go. And those guys would go crazy or they would just die from a broken heart. His optimism was different because he never, he never minimized how bad it was. He knew this is really bad and it might be like a really long time before I'm gonna get out, but in the end, gonna prevail. That's the kind of hope that Paul is calling us to as believers in this passage, because we, we live in the midst of this Genesis 3 world, this, this, this fallen creation, but in the end, future glory. Let's talk about why there's going to be future glory when Jesus comes again, because the first thing that we see here in the text is that when Jesus comes again, there's gonna be the revealing of God's children. So let's check out what he says here in, uh, in verse eight, 18. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now you notice here in the first part of verse 18, notice the realism of Paul. I consider that the sufferings of this present time. In other words, he is not minimizing the fact that we live in a fallen world and that this present time that we're living in is going to involve suffering, tribulation, trials, just a part of life in this present time, in this fallen world. But then what does he say? He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In other words, he says, if, if you could add up all of the afflictions, all of the trials, all of the suffering, all of the pain, if you could add all of that up, it is gonna be utterly drowned out and overwhelmed by the glory that is coming for us as believers. Now, he says much the same thing in 2 Corinthians 4, so we're gonna look at that, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. You'll see it on the screens. He says here, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You say, so, you know, when we think about the afflictions of this world and the things that people go through, you know, how could Paul call those things light? Well, Paul's not trying to minimize the reality of suffering. Paul knew suffering about as well as any human being can know suffering because he himself had suffered so much 
So he's not trying to minimize that. What he's saying is that in comparison, in comparison to the weight of glory that is in store for every believer, the worst that this life can deal to us is just gonna be so light by comparison. It's just gonna be overwhelmed by the glory that is coming. And then he talks about the fact that it's momentary. Because even if we go through affliction and suffering for years, it's just a drop in the bucket. It's a moment in time. Because the glory that we're going to experience is a forever, unending, everlasting glory. The trials of this life, moment in time. And there's a great scene in in Lord of the Rings, uh, when just things are just so incredibly bleak and so incredibly uh, dark, and and one of the characters um, in uh, in Tolkien's story, uh, Sam Ganji, says this. He says, "In the end, it's only a passing thing. This shadow, even darkness must pass. A new day will come, and when the sun shines, it will shine out all the clearer." That's what it's gonna be like at the coming of Jesus, right? All the darkness, the things of this earth, just utterly overwhelmed by the light of his glory. Well, what else um, do we see here? Look at verse uh, 19. He says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing, there's that word again, the revealing of the sons of God. You know, one of the things I've noticed in the last few years in our culture is that couples, when they're getting ready to have a baby, they'll have a, a reveal party where they kind of reveal the, the gender. That wasn't around when Melissa and I were, were having our kids. I, I think knowing my wife, I think we'd have definitely had a reveal party if they were, if they were around, but we didn't have one, so they weren't around at that point. Um, but yeah, folks have these great parties and invite family and friends and everything. Uh, so uh, they kind of, the gender of the baby is, is revealed. Well, Paul here is talking in verse 19 about the ultimate day of revealing. The revealing of the, the sons of God and obviously the daughters of God. Because on that day when Jesus comes again, it is going to be revealed who really belongs to him. The wheat is going to be revealed. The chaff is going to be revealed. The sheep are going to be revealed. The goats are going to be revealed. Those who truly knew Jesus are going to be revealed and those who are merely playing games are going to be revealed. But for those who know Christ, that day of the revealing of God's children, you know, it's just gonna be an ultimate day of, of glory. So we see here the revealing of God's children. Second, we see in this text the redemption of God's creation. The redemption of God's creation. Let's look at verses 20 through 22. Paul says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
you know, Paul is saying here that the story of God's redemption is so much bigger than our own individual redemption. I mean, as wonderful as that is, as wonderful as individual redemption is, the story is so much bigger because it involves the redemption of the entire creation. You see, not only are human beings marred by the fall, but the whole God's good creation has been marred by the fall. We live in this Genesis 3 world, and it's a different world from the world that God originally created. And I love um, what Charles Spurgeon said about this in one of his sermons. Spurgeon put it this way, the whole creation is fair and beautiful, even in its present condition. I have no sort of sympathy with those who cannot enjoy the beauties of nature, climbing the lofty Alps or wandering through the charming valleys, skimming the blue sea or traversing the verdant forests. We have felt that this world, however desecrated by sin, was evidently built to be a temple of God and the grandeur and the glory of it plainly declare that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Creation glows with a thousand beauties, even in its present fallen condition, yet clearly it is not as when it came from the maker's hand. The slime of the serpent is on it all. This is not the world which God pronounced very good. We hear of tornadoes, of earthquakes, of tempests, of volcanoes, of avalanches. There is sorrow on the sea, there is misery on the land, and into the highest palaces, as well as the poorest cottages, death, the insatiable, is shooting its arrows. And friends, there's coming a time when death will no longer shoot its arrows when every tear, will, our, every tear will be wiped away from our eyes and death will be no more. And not only that, but the whole creation is going to be redeemed. And you know, you see images of this even in the Old Testament. You know, you see this beautiful symbolic imagery in the Old Testament of, of hills dancing for joy and trees clapping their hands and the wolf lying down with the lamb and the knowledge of the glory of God covering the earth as the water covers the sea. And it is going to come to fruition. All of it's gonna to come to fruition at the coming of Jesus as the whole creation just experiences this redemption. But until that day, there's groaning. There's a groaning in creation. He says in verse 22, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And, and not only a groaning in creation, but a groaning in us as a part of that creation. Look at what he says in verse 23. He says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see, as believers, we live between the times, right? We, um, we, we are looking forward <laughs> to another world, but yet we're living in this present world where there is pain and there is suffering and uh, there is um, 
groaning, but yet we're looking forward and hope to another world and the, the confirmation, the sign that we belong to that future world is the spirit. He says that we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit. So the first fruits was an agricultural term, a harvest term, and it referred to the first part of the harvest to come in, which was the guarantee that the remainder of the harvest was coming. And Paul says that the, that the, rea- the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is just like that. It's like the first fruits. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is the guarantee that our real home is a new heaven and earth with the Lord. That's our future glory. And then what else does he say here in verse uh, 23? He says, we who have the first fruits of the spirits groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. You say, well, wait a second, pastor. I thought we talked about last week the fact that we've already been adopted as sons and daughters of God, and we have. But what Paul is saying here is that that day when Jesus returns is going to be the revealing to the rest of the world of our adoption. So on that day, there's going to be the, the our adoption is gonna be revealed. And what else? Our bodies are going to be redeemed. He says, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Because right now, we've got redeemed souls, but unredeemed bodies, right? We're still living in these perishable bodies. You know, we're like stuff that you put in the refrigerator that's got a date on it, expiration date on it, right? But, but, but listen, when Jesus comes, we're going to get bodies, glorified, resurrected bodies that are going to be imperishable and that are never going to be subject to disease or aging or death or suffering or sin. Praise God. Verses 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Right now, we walk by faith. There's coming a day when Jesus comes again when faith is going to become sight. And until then, what do we do? He says, we, we, we wait in patience. But patience does not mean passivity. Doesn't mean we're just sitting around. It means that we're waiting in confident trust, but it means that we are joining together with Jesus on the mission that he's given us. Just before baptism, a while ago, I, I quoted the great commission that Jesus gives us in Matthew 28. He says to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And so listen, this is not about kind of me, you know, each of us get, well, I've got my ticket to heaven, and now I can just kind of, you know, sit back. No, 
When we become a believer, it's like we've been taken on to a rescue boat. And we're out there in the waves where people are drowning and we're about the business of rescuing the perishing until the day when the admiral returns to take charge of the fleet. And the admiral is coming, but until he comes, he wants to be about, us to be about the work that he's given us to do. And that's about every man and woman, boy and girl, students, and seniors, people in our community, people around the world hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and coming to know him. We join together on that mission as a church family. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the mission that you've given us as believers, as we've heard so much about today, Lord. That includes ministry to children. It includes ministry to students. includes ministry to people of every age, every station in life. Lord, I thank you for just being a part of a church family that cares, that, that cares enough uh, to want to, to love on uh, on children, cares enough to, to want to, to love on uh, students. And Lord, you, you've, you've brought us together to be a part of your great purpose and your great mission in this world. Father, how we thank you uh, for that. Thank you for the gospel. And as we just continue to pray, if you're here today and you need to talk with someone about Jesus, we are here for you. We don't want you to lead today without being able to talk with someone more about what a relationship with Jesus is all about. Because listen, what's necessary for your redemption has been done. Jesus shed his blood for sinners like you and me. He was crucified, he was buried, he was raised from the dead that we can walk in newness of life and that we can experience future glory with him. We would love to come alongside you and just talk more, more with you about that. Maybe today the spirit of God is working in your life and you say, I, I wanna follow this king, I wanna follow Jesus. I, mean, I wanna be baptized as a believer. Well, if that's the case, in just a moment as we stand and sing, our pastors are going to be here at the front. We would love to come alongside you. We'll be here after the service if you want to talk with someone. But let's, let's talk about that. Let's set up a time for you to be baptized. Let's sit down and talk about it. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about um, being a part of this church family uh, as we serve the Lord together, we would love to talk with you about that. And we just want to invite you to come. If you're in need of prayer, our altar is open to you. We're here to pray for you. And so, Father, thank you for this time of invitation. Would you work now? in every heart and life. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. 
I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father. And you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer and find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.